HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Leiti Sue, host of Word of Mouth. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 13th. This is the 64th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the original modern mixologist, and I will introduce him in a moment. But first, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to say thank you. Show gratitude to others when they do something nice for you or unexpected. A simple thank you, whether it's in person, via text, email, phone, or the ever appreciated but rarely used slow mail, will go a long way. It's an easy thing to do, and it will always be appreciated. So say thanks. That's my tip today. Now, my guest is calling in from Las Vegas. It is Tony Abuganan, one of the pioneering and leading bar professionals in the world. Tony has made dozens of national TV appearances on shows including Today, Iron Chef America, Good Morning America, and more. Tony is the author of two books. The Modern Mixologist Contemporary Classic Cocktails, and Vodka Distilled. He also has a DVD entitled Modern Mixology, Making Great Cocktails at Home, and a signature branded line of Modern Mixologist Bar Tools. So hello, Tony, are you out there? Hey, Sherry, how you doing? I'm great, how are you? I am fabulous. It's it's a wonderful, beautiful day here in Las Vegas. And before we get started, I just I have to agree with your tip of the day. A uh, thank you. I mean, just goes so far. Uh, and anyone working in the hospitality industry loves to hear thank you. Well, thank you for saying that. I <laughs> I know it's kind of it's a simple tip, but I think it's something we forget sometimes, and it's good to be reminded. So it is. And, it, it, you know, a thank you costs you nothing. You know, a smile is free, and it, it goes such a long way in our industry. Yes, I agree. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Good way to <laughs> tip off the show. Now, we met many years ago, I remember, at South Beach Food and Wine Festival, and um, your career started, though, in this mixology food and beverage world way before that. So how, how did you get your start 
Well, um, Sherry, I have spent the last 35 years of my life behind bars, and I've had a wonderful time doing it. I grew up in a family that ran a bar. My cousin Helen David, God rest her soul, opened the Brass Rail Bar in Port Huron, Michigan in 1937. Wow. So just three years yeah, after the repeal of Prohibition. So as a kid, you know, my dad would take me into the bar, and my Uncle Charlie and my Uncle Tony would be behind the bar. And, you know, I, I, so I was infatuated with the bar industry at a very very early age, and when I came of age uh, in 1980, she uh, she was the first person to put a shaker in my hand and uh, teach me to make cocktails. And you never took the shaker out of your hand. <laughs> uh, I tried, Sherry, because you know, in 1980, in the 80s overall. When you told people you were a bartender, when they asked what you did for a living, they would follow that question with, well, what do you want to do? You know, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't like today. Today, it's such a great time in our profession where young bartenders aspire to be career bartenders. Um, and I'm very, very excited to see what's happening today. But that wasn't necessarily the case in the 80s. Very true. No, it has totally changed. So then what brought you to New York? Because I know you worked with Mario Batali. Yeah, I, I'm also one of these people that, you know, was a, what I wanted to do. I guess I thought I needed to do you know, you know, Tony, you're breaking up a little bit. Um, I think we're, let's try to take a break and we'll give you a call back and see if we could clear this up, okay? So, All right, sounds good. Oh, now you're you back. good to me. Oh, okay, wait, you're back. All right. Yeah, it was weird. So you, you started great. you started to sound like like a robot, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's keep going. But if it happens again, we'll take a break. So all right. So you were Sounds you good. were saying about I asked you about Mario Batali. Yeah, in 1993, um, I moved to New York City to pursue a theater career, and as most people who are actors, they you know the second question is, well, where do you tend bar? And that was pretty much the case with me. And I was Mario Batali's very first bartender at his very first restaurant, Poe, over on Cornelia Street. And that's uh, that's how I met Mario and developed a lifelong. Um, and that was my my to New York. And again, the bar scene in 1993 in New York was quite a bit different than it is today. And in large part, not only New York, but nationally were indebted to Mr. Dale DeGroff, who at that time was uh, the head barman at the Rainbow Room. Right. And I just saw Dale. I was at the James Beard Awards in Chicago, and he was recognized for the Who's Who Award, which uh, is such an honor. And he's such he's he's also a pioneer uh, that I think of back when, yeah, back in the day <laughs> with you. So um, it must have been. It, I mean, how was that time? Well, you can tell me, how was that time so different than now? Because it was just a limited field. I can think of Dale, I can think of you, compared to how many mixologists I can name today. It, it really was a limited field then. Uh, you know, the bar was kind of the waiting room at the restaurant. There wasn't a lot of focus and attention placed on the quality of the drinks and the profession of bartending. And, you know, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have access to go back and, you know, pick Dave Wondrich's brain and understand all these that had come before us and the cocktails that had been created and perfected prior to Prohibition and how that decimated the overall profession. And, and you know, Dale worked for Joe Baum, and Joe Baum really was a visionary and wanted to bring back a cocktail bar from that era. And Dale was really the first person, and the fact that I got to spend those two years in New York and got to meet Dale, that, uh, you know, bridged that gap and, and brought back those drinks in that time, in that era, and the place, and started to uh, legitimize, uh, once again, the profession of bartending. Yes, absolutely. So then, how did you get out to Vegas? Well, you know, it's so funny. Um, you know, I'm always, you never know who you're going to meet or come in contact with and how that's going to change your life. And, you know, Dale was that person for me, sitting at the Rainbow Room in 1993 and watching him work and being in New York to be an actor. I had a revelation at that moment that I just, you know, I had this great profession of bartending that I love to death and have complete control over it. Um, 
And I just set out to be the best bartender that I could be. And it was Dale that inspired me, and we became great friends. And I moved back to San Francisco in 1995 to team up with Harry Denton again and reopen the Starlight Room, which I think you've been there in San Francisco atop the Sir Francis Drake Hotel, beautiful old 1940s lounge uh, restored by Harry and Kimpton. And I was doing a similar program there that Dale had implemented at the Rainbow Room, a lot of education, training, lost and forgotten classic cocktails, original creations. And in 1998, I came home one day and listened to my answering machine, and there was a message from George Goldhoff, who had worked with Dale at the Rainbow Room, um, who was the director of restaurants at the Bellagio, inviting me to come out and uh, have an interview to make cocktails for the Bellagio in Las Vegas. And so it was Dale that referred me to George, who referred me to Steve Wynn, and kind of changed my life. Wow, it's such a small world, and I didn't know that was the connection. And I, I, I skipped over, I'm sorry I'd skipped over your San Francisco uh, time because that was before Vegas and I mean your path is you worked in incredible places and then to be brought into the Bellagio and um, and be a part of the Wind uh, Hotels is is pretty incredible so when you went out to Vegas did you think you would like living there? <laughs> yeah. You know, Sherry, it was really funny because, like you said, I had spent most of my formative years in San Francisco and visited Las Vegas quite a bit, but for no, no more than two or three days at a stretch, not thinking it was really some place to live, but just a great place to come and have fun for a few days. And um, even when I accepted the job, I thought, well, I'll stay a year, maybe two years, and then I'll be back to San Francisco. Two years went by in a blink of an eye, and now you know I've come to fall in love with Las Vegas and really can't imagine, other than maybe Hawaii, living anywhere else. I just I love the weather. I love the desert. Um, there's so much to do in Las Vegas, and it's just it's home for me now. Yes. Well, I think, I think that a lot of people, including myself, think that way of, of your initial thoughts that you go to Vegas for a couple of days. Um, and then you leave, <laughs> or for you, you committed right. to a year. But I do. I think the. I imagine the lifestyle of 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 Las Vegas when you live there and you're professional is is very different than people just visiting. It really is, and like I said, w- with the opening of the Bellagio, it was really a, a tipping point in food and beverage here in Las Vegas. You know, the program that they put together there and the chefs and restaurants, Elizabeth Blau, uh, her contributions to the the restaurant scene at Bellagio and now moving forward in Las Vegas, um, just really changed the landscape of how Las Vegas and visitors of Las Vegas look at, at food and drink. And for me, it was a, an amazing stage to operate from. At that time, you know, the only fresh drink you got in Las Vegas was from a freshly opened bottle of sweet and sour mix. There was really nothing fresh or creative or cutting edge going on in the cocktail world in 1998. And like I said, it was all eyes were on the Bellagio. It was perhaps the biggest hotel opening at the time in the world. And it, it really, as I said, a great stage for me to kind of preach my beliefs of a well-made, fresh, handcrafted premium cocktail. And we weren't, you know, we weren't doing anything crazy. We were just resurrecting some of these lost and forgotten classic recipes and utilizing twists on classics and original drinks, but featuring premium spirits, great glassware, beautiful garnishes, great technique. Um, We opened with almost 200 bartenders. There were 29 bars on property. We would serve upwards of 25,000 drinks in a 24-hour period. So the volume was incredible, and the fact that we were able to do fresh, handcrafted, consistent drinks on that scale was really, for Las Vegas, it was a game-changer. I, I can see that. I'm thinking with the the fresh squeezed juice and and this 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 concept of drinks that we've come to just ex- accept or expect actually now. But when you introduced that, was it was it welcomed? Was it challenging? 
uh, did the drink prices go go up? And, you know, how how when you think back at that change, because that was a huge difference in, in making cocktails. It, it really was, Sherry. And, you know, coming from a, a program like we had established at the Starlight Room in San Francisco, I just took that same program and implemented it at Bellagio on a much larger scale. I wasn't trying to recreate the wheel, but, you know, at that point, like I said, every juice came off of the soda gun. There was nothing squeezed fresh. Um, a daiquiri meant uh, a frozen drink from a machine. Um, so kind of getting 200 bartenders on board with this handcrafted fresh program at that time was a little challenging. But I think the fact that, you know, I'm not a Cornell grad going in and trying to change their world, but I'm a bartender talking to bartenders and just saying, I'm not trying to make the job harder, I'm trying to make it better, and I'm trying to make you proud to be a bartender and give you the tools to be successful. And I was there every day, you know, I six days a week, I just boom, 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 and I walked the property and I got behind the bars and tasted drinks and made sure everything was being made consistently. And the bartenders realized that, wow, you know, it's not harder, we're making more money, and we're getting compliments from our guests on our drinks. I mean, how cool is that? And it, it just, you know, it was kind of that light bulb moment again where it, it really, you, you saw things shift. And that was probably the beginning of the fresh movement, at least in Las Vegas. Yes, well, it's very impressive. Okay, we're going to take a break here, so don't go anywhere. Stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Book a farm escape. Escapemaker.com, a guide to local getaways, is offering a two-night farm escape that includes lodging, a visit to an apiary, wine tasting at a vineyard, and a special tour of Bobolink Dairy and Bakehouse in Milford, New Jersey. Transportation is included. For details, visit Escapemaker.com or come by the Bobolink Dairy stand at the new open-air Fulton Stall Market on Front Street in the South Street Seaport District. Located where New York City's public food markets began in the 1800s, Fulton Stall Market is open weekends 10 to 5 and is the first farmer's market in the city to offer ready-to-eat foods made by the farmers who produce them, along with a radio station, live music, and cooking workshops for families. Now offering spring flowers and plants, organic vegetables, pizza made in a wood-burning oven using farm ingredients, local fruit preserves, yogurts and ice cream, and Bobolink Dairy's famous artisanal cheese and breads. The market is a great reason to rediscover the authentic seaport. For more information, visit FultonStallMarket.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Tony Abuganan, the original modern mixologist. He's calling in from Vegas. So, Tony, um, this modern mixologist brand, when did you start that and, and what inspired it? Gary, um, today we have uh, brand ambassadors. Virtually every supplier of any magnitude has several brand ambassadors. Back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, that was rare that someone would make a living. People like Steve Olson, who were educators, that were you know spreading the gospel and, and teaching people about spirits and wine and mixology and cocktails. Uh, as my tenure at the Bellagio progressed, I was getting more and more opportunities to get out and speak in front of the trade and consumers as well, which I love to do. And it just, at, by the end of 2003, I was ready to strike out on my own. And that's when I, I formed the Modern Mixologist, which is kind of a play on terms because really everything that I'm about is founded in classic mixology, in the classic cocktail recipes, classic technique, but utilizing you know, modern ingredients that we have available today, but still uh, you know, keeping it simple. You know, I'm, I'm a firm, sometimes I look at my recipes and I think, oh, yeah, those are pretty simple recipes, but you look at classics, and classics are simple. Three, four ingredients, celebrate the base spirit, bring all the ingredients together so they're more than the sum of the parts, and you have a delicious, delicious balanced, complex final creation. Um, so that's how modern mixologists 
evolved. Uh, today, I, I do a lot of uh, training for the trade. I do a lot of trade events. Uh, I also do a lot of um, events for consumers. I do a lot of food and wine festivals. You mentioned meeting years ago at the South Beach Food and Wine Festival down in Miami, and I was actually the very first cocktail person to speak down there some 12, 13 years ago when, well, it was longer than that even, uh, 15 years ago, when it was very rare to see a demonstration held strictly about cocktails. And so much has changed in the last 15, 16 years. It's just wonderful to see. Absolutely. So what are the, 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 the clients you're working with now? Who are some of them or these events that you're, you're currently involved with? Well, um, I just signed a real exciting deal with AEG, and AEG is the company that operates a lot of the arenas around the world. And we, MGM Properties is building a brand new arena here in Las Vegas, scheduled to open in April of 16. And the word on the street is we're getting a professional hockey team, which oh. I could not be more excited about. Uh, I'm a big from, I'm a Midwest guy from Michigan. I love the Detroit Red Wings and a big hockey fan. So I put in for my two tickets. Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but I'll be doing uh, all the drinks at the new arena. So this is going to be a big project, and I'll also work with AEG on several of the other existing properties. Uh, right now we're looking at the uh, property in Oakland, California. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the other thing that I wish I could announce right now. I was hoping to be able to make this announcement on your show, but uh, we have a pitch myself and Chef Sean McLean from Sage Restaurant here in Las Vegas, um, Blue Zebra, or excuse me, Green Zebra in Chicago. We've, uh, we've put together a pitch for a space in one of the MGM properties as well, so fingers crossed on that, uh, that soon we'll be able to make that announcement. Well, I, I appreciate that. We're getting a little plug for something you're doing, and, and I, got the, I, I got the ice hockey story. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know about that. It's kind of, something about that is, you know, in a, des, a desert and, and, and ice hockey. But, but then again, there's a team in Miami, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> team in Florida, several teams in California. Um, yeah, it's just... It's funny that Las Vegas has never had a professional sports team, um, and I think part of that is because of the the allure of the gambling around it. Uh, so this would be great. You know, I, I could not be more excited, uh, both about a hockey team coming in and even more so about doing the drinks at the arena. So uh, you'll be able to drink Tony Ebogannum cocktails when you're uh, watching a concert or, or hopefully watching a hockey game in Las Vegas. That's super cool. And another excuse for me to get out there again. Because <laughs> I do like visiting, and you know I was out there um, in January to check out the restaurant scene and, and what was going on, and a lot is going on. Um, I was going to ask you, what, what trends are you noticing in, in beverage programs nowadays? Well, you know, uh, I think if I had to pick a trend, I think we're getting back to simpler times. You know, we've really pushed the envelope, which has been great. Uh, the creativity that has been spurred behind the bar today, you know, it started with people making their own bitters and tinctures. I mean, you, you now have hundreds of bitters when it was hard to find three not that long ago. Um, we've bottled cocktails, we've carbonated cocktails, we put cocktails on taps, we put cocktails in barrels, we've solidified cocktails, we've molecularized cocktails. Uh, and I think, you know, for me, it's, it's bringing back the fun of the bar. I remember in the 80s, you know, drinks like the Harvey Wallbanger. They were fun. Uh, kamikazes. I'm Kamikazes, just if you couldn't drink, a group couldn't drink kamikazes and not have fun. Was it the most elaborate, the most esoteric ingredients going into a kamikaze? No, but they tasted good. Um, I think that, you know, the Cosmopolitan is due for a, a revival. Um, you know, a, 
for me, a cosmopolitan, when made well, with the right ingredients, not cheating, uh, is a well-balanced, complex cocktail. Maybe as good as any cocktail out there. And yet, vodka itself has kind of gotten beat up in the mixology world. Uh, I think unrightfully so. And the cosmopolitan has been that kind of stepchild to the vodka cocktail world that everyone seemed to want to pick on. And uh, I'm, I'm doing my part to try to bring back a well-made cosmopolitan. So, Well, and you had your book, Vodka Distilled, which I do think vodka has been picked on in our industry. You know, like it's not complex enough. Or, I mean, I think back in the day, you know, drinking it was vodka was like the go-to drink when we were in college and because it you didn't taste it you know um but what's your take on that is that what inspired this 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 book that was a big part of it sherry uh, i i really think that there's a huge misunderstanding among consumers on just what vodka is and in people would often say oh it's just vodka all vodkas are the same now I will say that if I'm making a Bloody Mary and I'm using six different vodkas produced from six different raw materials, I doubt I could pick out any of them. But on their own, when drank neat without being adulterated in any way, there are huge differences in aroma, in mouthfeel, in flavor, in finish, in acidity. And I could tell you which one of those vodkas would work best in a Bloody Mary. But... You're absolutely right. What elevated vodka's popularity, along with James Bond, um, (laughs) was its mixability. And it it came during a time in the 60s and 70s when our profession, the profession of mixologists, bartenders, was perhaps at its lowest. Uh, So we didn't have people that really understood those classic gin-based cocktails. And vodka just made it a lot easier to work with. You know, you you put vodka in in an orange blossom and you have a screwdriver. Uh, The Greyhound became a vodka drink. Even the Bloody Mary, when first introduced to the United States, was made with gin. Um, So the martini was uh, probably the biggest tipping point. And today we know statistically that one out of four drinks served across the bar is going to be a vodka-based drink. So people like to drink vodka. So why not Instead of, oh, we don't serve vodka or vodka's stupid, you know, drink gin. Why not be better educated ourselves so we can better give our guests a better experience? Because after all, if I win a guest over with vodka, it won't be long before I got him trying, a, you know, a Corp Survivor or a casino cocktail or a white lady. But I have to win their trust and I have to make them a friend of mine and a friend to the bar first. Uh, And then, you know, I I never want to insult the customer. So through, I think, Charlotte Boise said it better. Uh, She said through through deeper knowledge comes greater enjoyment. And I really believe that's the case with vodka. It does take some work, but once you you conquer it, you, you yourself will enjoy it more, but you'll be able to share that experience with your guests. Well said. I also, as a non-drinker now, I have to ask you about mocktails or, or I was at a, I was at a, a special dinner the other night at a Terra, which um, has a new chef, a Danish chef, then they launched a new menu and I got a sneak peek and uh, they have now a temperance pairing as well as a wine pairing and they also had a tea pairing program and i did the tea pairing which i had never done before with a tasting menu and it was quite amazing uh the balance of flavors that i it was um it was a really cool experience so i'm wondering do you is anything like that happening over in vegas with non-alcoholic drinks is there a trend going in that direction that that you see I think this is something we've been seeing for quite a while, Sherry, because I, it just makes good sense from an operator. A, you can charge more, uh, so it's a better profit margin, and B, it's just giving your guest a better experience at your establishment because, you know, well, we've got sodas and we've got, you know, sparkling water. Um, you know, if you can offer some really fun mocktails, non-alcoholic drinks that, are dressed up, that uh, are made with fresh ingredients, that come in a great glass, that are well garnished, so that the non-drinker feels like they're part of the experience, that they're they're enjoying a drink with their friends. And 
experiencing something that tastes good. Uh, and that's a, I think we often forget that some of these, and getting back to alcoholic cocktails that get so esoteric, might not necessarily appeal to the broad drinker. Um, and I think with, with mocktails, you can do a lot of fun things with, with syrups, with teas, with lemonades. Um, I, I love the idea of a temperance menu. And one of the things, you know, with the meetings that we're having with Levy for putting together planning for the new arena is a whole list of non-alcoholics, um, both for kids because you know it is a, a stadium arena but um also for those who choose not to imbibe uh and we're going to have some really fun stuff sounds great okay before we take a break let me ask you my question from last week i had on ann mcbride the culinary program and editorial director for the strategic initiatives group at the culinary institute of america and she's also also the director of experimental Cuisine Collective. So her question is, which city has the most exciting cocktail scene right now, and what makes it so? Wow, that is that is a broad question, Sherry. <laughs> but um, I think as all things that, and I hope that this cocktail scene thing is not a trend. I, I think you know, I think it's becoming as uh, solidified as food has come. Uh, in the United States, but um, things start in New York, West Coast, you know, San Francisco or L.A., and that's really how back in the 90s with myself and Dale, you know, Dale was doing great things in New York, and I kind of implemented that at the Starlight Room, and that kind of grew there, And but today, I, I travel all over the country, and you don't go to any even middle-sized town and not hear a buzz about cocktails. Uh, I was just in Minneapolis and went to a, a handful of great cocktail bars. And I think places like Minneapolis, Brooklyn, one of my favorite places to drink in. You know, I love Clover Club and I love everything Julie Reiner does. Um, Detroit, where I'm from, there's some really cool places that are serving these craft beers and craft cocktails. As these, the community around them embrace it, to me, that's what makes it so special. You know, you, you come in and put your arm garters on and wax your mustache, doesn't make a great bar. When, the, when you see the seats are full and people are excited drinking your cocktails and smiling and laughing and having a great time, then you've, you've really, really embraced uh, the craft and the profession. But um, I, I wouldn't know where to start. I just did a West Coast tour with my uh, book uh vodka distilled and seattle great scene portland great scene um sacramento some really cool stuff but i gotta tell you i was blown away by minneapolis i really i i loved it minneapolis uh they really a great uh community of bartenders and some great bars and and bars that were being embraced by the community and having fun. Yeah, I've never been to Minneapolis, but I know Gavin Kaysen has his restaurant out there now, uh, Spoon and Stable. Did you, were yep. you able to go there? I was, and I had an amazing time there. Okay. An amazing time. It was, it was, I'd go back just for that and uh, to go to the parlor for their hamburger. Uh, you know, <laughs> they had this rum cocktail that was so much fun and delicious, and they make perhaps one of the best hamburgers I've ever eaten. Um, so, yeah, another trip back to Minneapolis uh, for me. But I'm going to wait. I went in January. <laughs> wait till it's a little warmer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think a summer trip is in, uh, is in order. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good call. And I, I, will, I will tell Anne that, that I think uh, this, we, we might have a road trip or something, Minneapolis. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back and we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Tony Abaganan. 
Tony Abuganen, sorry, slurred on that. (laughs) (laughs) Say it too fast. Um, So, Tony, it's time for my speed round game. And what this is, is I'm going to name two things and you just pick your preference. All right. That sounds like fun. All right. Well, I hope it is. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? All. (laughs) (laughs) Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasty menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal. Shaken or stirred? Stirred. As a term, bar chef, bartender, or mixologist? Well, you can't be a mixologist unless you're a great bartender. So uh, first and foremost, we're all bartenders. All right. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Vegas? Vegas. (laughs) Vegas, baby. (laughs) You were great at this game. You didn't even hesitate on any of them. Most people get stuck. (laughs) Well, it's, uh, yeah, I I love that game. That's a lot of fun. Um, Sometimes you answer before you think it through all the way, and that's usually, like when I look at a menu and I go back and forth, usually my first choice, my gut feeling is the thing I should have ordered, so... Right. That's a good game. <laughs> ah, well, good. Okay, so let's talk some industry news. Now, I was trying not to be totally New York-centric this week. Huh? <laughs> so I found this article on, on Vegas uh, that just came out on the next eight restaurants to watch. And it was on Eater Vegas, their website. And uh-huh. I don't know if you um, if you saw this list, but, I mean, it, it's – I, I – I'm not familiar. I wasn't familiar with any of these places. Um, And it seemed there was more things happening off the strip as well, which is what I I noticed when I I visited um, a few months ago. And I and I agree with you. I, I think what's happening downtown and off the strip in Las Vegas right now is really, really exciting in the dining scene and in the bar scene too. I mean there's some places that uh downtown, you know, the downtown cocktail room really kind of started things. The Velveteen Rabbit fabulous cocktail joint downtown. That's um, a good name. You know, real estate's <laughs> a little more approachable. A lot of times locals don't really want to go down to the strip um it's it's easier to to find a great restaurant off the strip you know we all want to become regulars at a place i think that's one of the great things about the world of hospitality and why i love working in the hospitality industry so much is developing those relationships so i love to find restaurants that are off the strip i mean i go down to the strip a lot as well i I love going down to the strip, but um, off the strip places where the food is good and the service is good, and you know, kind of that cheers mentality. They know your name and remember what you like to drink. But uh, I, I did. I, I know Susan Stapleton real well. She's a dear friend of mine. I think she does a great job with Eater, um, and I'm excited for some of these places. I I don't really know uh, many of them either. I know some of the players, and I'm sure the food is going to be fabulous. Uh, yeah. Any of them catch your eye? Well, yeah, the one, I like the name, the Smashed Pig, that was on Fremont Street, and there was another one on Fremont, uh, Chow. Um, uh-huh. And then I noticed, I didn't make it to uh, Chata Thai and Wine when I was there, but it was on my list, and I saw they were opening another place called Chata Street. Right. Um, and there was a charcuterie place, Grazing Pig Charcuterie. Um, the, I, I mean, these are... The whole list. I mean, it sounded very interesting, but it didn't. It didn't seem like these places were um, in in on the strip in in the popular hotels. They seemed to be um, elsewhere. No, these are all uh, either downtown or down in the downtown area. Um, Harvest and Ladder and the Grazing Pig Charcuterie. That to me, I, I know Corey really well, and and Brian Howard. I, I think he's going to bring some great food. I think that's going to be, I mean, the concept sounds fabulous. And getting back to your speed round, you know, small plates, big plates. I mean, I I love going out. You know, I'm Lebanese, so meze, you know, having a lot of 
small plates and, and drink and, and more of a grazing type of dining experience than a white tablecloth. Um, this is this sounds really, really exciting to me, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see the food and what they do with the wine and drink program there. But, um, yeah, Natalie Young, she's got the great place downtown called Eat, so be Interesting. Mm-hmm. They say branded the chicken and Chinese joint. Right, um, right. <laughs> that's Chow. That's opening. Yeah, that that sounded great. And then not on this list, but in a separate article I just saw today, um, it was it was rumored about a few months ago, but um, it is true that the Carbone guys in New York are opening up at Aria in what was the Serio space and Carbone. I don't know if you've been to the one in New York, but but I've been, and these guys, these guys nail this fun Italian concept, and it's just gimmicky, but it works, and the food is not cheap, but I find it's always worth the price tag because you go there and you have a great time, and it's delicious. So they're opening um, in Aria. Did, did you know about that news? I, I had heard the rumor as well, and then I saw the email that you sent me today confirming it, and that was the first that I've heard that it was actually uh, a done deal, but it sounds great. I mean, I love that, that old-school kind of feel, that old kind of dining, the table-sized pre- presentation and preparation, um, you know, cherry flambe and you know, things like that that are just the, the, the kind of a lost art. Um, anymore, but to bring that back, and you know, New York and Las Vegas, there there is that kind of that old school feel to some of the restaurants that I think it'll translate really, really well here. Um, I know Rayo's over at Caesar's Palace does fabulous, and you know that again brings back some of that kind of old Italian neighborhoods dining feel. Um, so I have never eaten at Carbones. Um, I'm looking right now at the waiter in his red uh, tuxedo preparing some type of uh, a dessert, or I think, table side. Yeah, they, they have a dessert cart there, and the waiter's, it's like, a, yeah, it's a reddish-purplish tuxedo, and you you feel like you're on a movie set when you're there, <laughs> old-school Italian movie set. Um and 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 th- these are really smart restaurateurs, so I I think they'll do well. And I was thinking the same thing with Reos as a comparison. Um, I've, I've I've got to the one in New York recently. Someone invited me, um, which I couldn't believe I actually got there. But I've never. I think the Vegas one is is much larger and um, probably not as hard to get into. But it, it, it works in Vegas. You know, it's the right fit. Yeah, it, it is quite a bit larger. Um, I believe they actually have built the original Rayos uh, inside of this restaurant, so you can sit in kind of a, uh, a replica of what you'd be sitting at if you were up in Harlem in New York at Rayos. But it is quite a bit larger, and the food is fabulous, and, and it's at large plates, meant to share, family style, fun atmosphere, um, and it's just a, it's a great place to dine. And I think, you know, more and more we're seeing that with food, although you mentioned it, I, I, I think this will probably come along with a pretty big uh, price tag, but, you know, if, if my cousin Helen David always said, you'll long forget the price and remember the experience. Uh, and a good value is, you know, a good value for your dollar for what you get, and that service and food and everything goes along with the experience. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I think it'll be a good fit at Aria. I think they, they need something like this. Um, as I mentioned, Sean McLean has the wonderful Sage and 550 over there, and uh, Michael Mina just reinvented his restaurant and opened a French uh, bistro. That is fabulous. The Bardot, right? Because I went, I went there when I was when I was. It must have been after I saw you, but I did go to Bardot. It was like its second day opening, and um, it was fabulous. It was a beautiful space. So, and I the that whole, whole hotel is. I mean, all the all the hotels in Vegas are so impressive and modern and um, expensive looking. <laughs> so, uh, I think this will fit in there well from from knowing the look of of and the feel of the place. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I I love Bardot. Um, I love everything Michael Mina does, and you know Jean George, the steakhouse that he opened. That's been the anchor up up there on that second floor since the opening, and they still 
knock it out of the park. So this will this will round out uh, that corner really nicely, and I'm I'm excited to try it. I bet they'll make a good Negroni. <laughs> I bet so. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back and do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is On the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. This week, it is on Nico Osteria. Here's the rundown. The location, 1015 North Rush Street at the Thompson Chicago in Chicago's Gold Coast. The concept, authentically Italian seafood. The chef and owner, from the team behind one-off hospitality group, executive chef Paul Cahan and restaurateur Donnie Medea. Why did I go? Because I'm a fan of this restaurant group. My experience. The day after the Beard Awards, I had two lunches planned, an early and a late. Now, my early lunch date canceled as she had been out too late at the parties the night before. So I decided to venture on my own to this hot new restaurant, which was walking distance from my hotel. I ran into some industry peeps and took a seat at the vast chef counter. I asked the server for seafood recommendations, and he and after he enthusiastically went over most of the menu, I placed my order and kept busy catching up on social media and news from the night before. What did I get? Since the crudo came highly recommended, I had the hamachi and then a half soup and sandwich combo, which was leek and celery root soup and an open, open-faced Brussels sprouts. My take? The hamachi was super fresh served with hen of the woods, blood orange, and celery leaf. The silky soup was full of flavor, as were the Brussels sprouts with, with stracciatelli cheese, le- lemon honey, and truffle burnt hazelnuts. I also had an iced tea. The scene, a work crowd and fellow James Beard attendees. Perfect for business lunch or dining solo. Interesting tidbit, Donnie Medea won Outstanding Restaurant Tour at the James Beard Awards the night before. Personal fun fact, I have now dined at half of Paul Cahan's Chicago restaurants, including Blackbird, Avec, and Publican. I look forward to checking out his other places in the future. The cost, $40, not including tax and tip, so it was not cheap. Would I go back? Yes, to try more. The website is nicoosteria.com. Okay, so Tony, it is now time for the final question. Um, you're there, right? Are you I'm there? I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> Didn't mean to keep you there as I did my solo dining thing, but um, <laughs> glad you're still there. Okay, so next week my guest is Anthony Rudolph. He is a former per se general manager and the founder of Journey, which is a new community of restaurant professionals. Um, and I'm curious even to find out more about what it is, but he's basically launched this new. Um, community called Journey. So, Tony, can you ask him a question? Well, if if I'm uh, understanding his uh, new uh, company, Journey, or community, uh, I would like to know how he would include or integrate a successful bar program when developing a new restaurant concept. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, you know, because so often, like I said earlier, the bar is an afterthought. We spend all this time and money and energy on the chef and the kitchen and the menu and the decorations, and then there's the bar. Uh, So I always love when chefs and and restaurateurs work together with someone in the front of the house at the bar and, you know, including the bar concept as part of the overall restaurant concept. So just curious uh, how they approach that. I will find out, and um, I'll let you know, or you can listen in next week and find out. (laughs) 
I love to listen in next week. I'll be uh, I'll be coming back from the National Restaurant Show uh, in Chicago That's myself. Chicago. So I may just hit up the place you just uh, reviewed. Yeah, Nico Osteria. It's one of his newer places, and uh, it was great. Um, I mean, as I said, I'm a fan of all of his restaurants, and they all have their own flavor to them. So that should be fun. And uh, I'm sorry you weren't able to get out to New York to do this live this time, but I'm so glad we we were able to do it on the phone. And um, it's been great talking to you, Tony. Well, Sherry, I love that you said this time. That means there'll be another time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you have to let me know when you're out here, and I will let you know when I'm in Vegas. I, I certainly will have to come check out all these new places um, in time. And uh, hopefully I'll have some good news for you very soon. But it's been a pleasure being on your show, and I can't wait to uh, to share the stage with you again soon. Well, thank you. I've always been a huge fan of yours. You're amazing, and um, I wish you continued success. So I've been talking to Tony, Abuga- Tony Abuganin. I did that twice. Tony Abuganin, the original modern mixologist. His website is themodernmixologist.com. He's at MDRN Mixologist on social media. My social media handles are at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry, at Heritage underscore Radio. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website is BayerPublicRelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes, so you can download our episodes as podcasts and listen to us anywhere, anytime. Many thanks to all of those who supported us for our Heritage Radio Network website rebuild project on Kickstarter, we reached our goal and we'll be getting a new website. So, woohoo! Thanks always to my engineer Jack and to my guest Tony. I'm Sherry Bayer, and I'll be back next Wednesday with another live show at four o'clock. Thanks for being part of all in the in- all in the industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.